I'm your host, writer Todd Smith, and today we're joined by Executive Director of the Rennie Public Management Group, Nelson Fialo, and founding partner of the Rennie Public Management Group, John Holtzman. Nelson and John, welcome to the Public CEO Report. Thanks, Ryder, and uh, thanks for having me, and us, I should say. <laughs> 100%, John. Well, you're a multi, multi-time multi repeat guest, so always good to have you back on for our conversation, and I'll talk a little bit about uh, Rennie Public Management Group, or RPMG, as we talk about it. Um, and kind of get to know more about that operation as well, since uh, Nelson here is helping you head that up. Yeah, well, thank you for the opportunity to do that. So RPLG deals with a wide range of legal matters from uh, labor issues and employment issues. Uh, How does your legal practice differ from the management group that you guys have formed? And why did you guys decide to create a management group? Well, you know, I've worked in public sector for you know, 40-ish years, and one of the things that I realized, especially because I worked in-house in City County, San Francisco for a long time, is that, you know, many of the problems that we face as lawyers really have to do with deeper issues in the management of, of, of cities and counties and local governments. Uh, and that, you know, let's face it, uh, as much as I'd like to think that lawyers know everything, uh, that there are professionals out there who have a great deal of, of, of specific knowledge about how to run things and how to, I mean, our focus is how can cities and counties, et cetera, run well and and gain the respect of the public? And there are people like Nelson, uh, who longtime uh, city manager of Pleasanton, uh, but many others who are highly respected in the field, who are who are great managers, and who you can bring in to to solve the underlying problems, which are really the, at the heart of what makes government work. So partly what I'm hearing is the the legal issues ultimately are a symptom of a perhaps an operational issue that can be addressed by an operations professional. That's right. I mean, a lot of, uh, of course, uh, my background was employment law, and that's always true uh, in the employment law world. But it's true also uh, when it comes to how is a council getting along with the city manager or how are they working, how are they working together? Or it's true with respect to uh uh, you know, a particular division is not operating well. Many city managers don't have the time, the ability, bandwidth uh, to handle that. It's also true there's been a tremendous brain drain, as you know, uh, in uh, public sector, although a lot of great people are coming up as well, uh, but who need help and training and mentorship and all of that. Yeah, the selfish tsunami was certainly something that we've been talking about for 15 plus years now. And uh, I mean, the, the tsunami's here and we're seeing that that uh, the consequences of that. So, Nelson, we keep talking about you like you're not in the room, but you are in the room. <laughs> so um, real quick, Nelson, since uh, John just hinted at your background, tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, why why you're, you're the man with a plan when it comes to RPMG. Yeah, well, uh, thanks, Ryder, for having us. And uh, as you um, uh, mentioned, I am the executive director of RPMG. I'm also uh, the former city manager of Pleasanton. Um, I've spent uh, approximately uh, 35 years in local government in various capacities. My my longest stint was in Pleasanton, but I also uh, served the cities of Campbell, um, Hayward, and San Dimas in Southern California. And 
my my expertise, uh, so to speak, in local government is really around uh, human resources and labor relations and financial matters. Uh, so that's that's what uh, brought me to the firm, and uh, we're really excited about what we're building at RPMG. Um, the the firm combines um, the expertise of uh, former leaders and managers and in, in, in local government. Uh, and when I say local government, that not only means uh, cities and counties, but um, also school districts, and we even have some nonprofit uh, representation. And our goal is to offer clients professional support and consulting services. Uh, so we're really uh, happy to provide this service in alignment with our PLG um, to our clients. Where do you see the biggest value that you guys are providing for clients from your perspective? Well, I think it's the people that we have on our team. Uh, they're pretty incredible, and I and I encourage anybody who's watching uh, to look them up on our on our website. Um, I think because we have assembled such a, a deep pool of former, like I said, city managers, assistant city managers, department heads, et cetera, um, it allows us to effectively guide um, and assist public agencies with key initiatives. You know, um, some of the services that we're offering to our clients include things like uh, strategic planning services, um, performance evaluation services for uh, appointed officials on behalf of um, agency boards or city councils. Uh, executive coaching uh, is another niche that we're offering. Uh, facilitation services of any kind, either to elected bodies or uh, department head groups um, or conflict resolution um, in the community. And then, of course, uh, things like professional training and development and then organizational studies. These all sound highly aligned with your background, as you mentioned, in city management and HR issues. Yeah. And I think the other thing that uh, I think is a, a real value uh, to our clients is because we've assembled a great group of individuals to support clients, um, the way we approach these projects is that we 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 spend time thoughtfully planning and executing um, the collaboration with the client. And so each project is sort of individually tailored to the client's core objectives. And then uh, we work alongside you know agency representatives to develop uh, and execute the work plan. Seems like a, a reasonable and effective approach, but and I assume most of that collaboration is directly with the city manager. It varies. Uh, we've been we've been brought in uh, by city managers, which of course uh, we love working with, uh, or county executives. Uh, but from time to time, we have to engage directly with the elected officials um, and work through you know a complex uh, issue. So I think. I, again, not to repeat myself, I think the value that we bring is that uh, most of our team is comprised of accomplished retired executives in the public sector who have knowledge not only working directly with chief appointed officials, but also uh, the complexity that's often involved with working with a diverse, uh, multifaceted elected body. How did... Um, uh John, I guess I'll start. I'll start with you on this too, and then Nelson chime in. I mean, obviously, there. I'm assuming at some point there's a point of collaboration, right, where you two talk with each other when there's a particularly sticky project coming up, and there's some insights to be offered or shared. How does that point of collaboration happen between the two of you? 
between the RPMG side and the RPLG side? Let me say, I think it even goes beyond not 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 working around Nelson, uh, who's running the organization, but it goes between uh, people in Nelson's organization and folks directly in our organization. I'll give you an example. This weekend, a, a client called with a, uh, a very high level uh, personnel crisis of a sort, and uh, and. Uh, Basically, it was uh, a problem between two executives, and uh, you know, I was able to get on the phone uh, with uh, one of uh, very, very highly experienced uh, HR professionals uh, that are in uh, Nelson's shop, uh, and I hooked uh, this person up with the head of the organization. Uh, and off we go. Uh, we wake up Monday morning and uh, we, we're already working on a solution. So, uh, so there can be things like that. Uh, sometimes there are, um, very often, there's legal um, uh, overlap uh, in areas, particularly around problems between city management and, uh, and city councils, for example. Uh, like obviously, when I say city, think county as well. Uh, sure. The uh, um, you know often uh, so yeah so I, I'm on the phone with Nelson all of the time uh, you know saying you know hey here's here's a problem. Very often the client is saying, geez, if only we had you know this because you know you're just a lawyer, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, and uh, you know, uh, and and so. This this comes up, you know, pretty constantly. Actually, uh, it, it, it's really, uh, I mean, I think it is more important in terms of the work we do in a lot of ways than the law work that we do. Nelson, what's your perspective on that? What's what's it like uh, being in this position now? I mean, you always, when you were city manager, you always had a city attorney at your fingertips. Although their specialty might be different than certainly John's or the breadth of what. RPLG can do, but what's, what's your viewpoint on that? I uh, so I 100% agree with John's assessment. And if I think back to my days as a city manager, you know, no issue uh, that's complex can be managed by one individual or one department. It often overlaps, right? Technical expertise um, and and the depth of experience. So you're constantly relying on generalists, maybe legal advisors, maybe um, engineers or accountants or whatever. So when we're engaging with clients, you know, the complex matters that we're confronted with are, you know, very similar. And while it may start as a legal matter, uh, it may morph into, um, you know, a management issue, or it may start as a management issue and it morphs into a legal or a public policy uh, issue. So I think that's, that's the that's the differentiation that we bring, I think, to the market is uh, we've got a very strong, capable, uh, mission-driven law firm on one side of the house. Uh, we have a pool of management and leadership consultants on the other side of the house that can augment uh, or complement those services. And then we haven't talked about our PPG, which is our public policy arm in Sacramento, that provides a lot of advice around advocacy and public policy development for its clients. So as I'm talking, if you can kind of imagine the Venn diagram with the client in the middle and the overlapping services uh, being provided to the client, uh, to me, that's an incredible value 
that uh, we bring. And it's exciting to be part of the effort. Uh, the well, it's it's a helpful mashup, particularly when I hear about describe you describing some of the situations you're going to or these management situations. And John, it might be helpful too, just for context on that, um, because while our PLG has a broad swath of law area, the the labor kind of practice has been a core, and I think also core to your history as an attorney. Could you just talk about that particular niche and um, the role that it plays at RPLG? Because it it just seems so complementary to a lot of the work that RPMG is focused on. Well, that's really true. And uh, so, first of all, uh, RPMG has uh, a couple of uh, what I would consider uh, to be uh, the best known and also hopefully best uh, HR professionals uh, in the business. Uh, Deborah Gill, uh, who was uh, uh, recently uh, head of, of Calpella, and uh, I'm sorry, Nelson, help me here. Um, um, she was the head of Calpella, and yeah. she was the former director of uh, human resources and labor relations for the city. Right, and, and also uh, Donna um, uh, Villancourt, uh, who uh, is generally thought also to be really one of the real stars of the business. So, yeah, I mean, so this for me is um, is incredibly critical. If I'm at a labor, if I'm in labor negotiations, and I need support. Uh, if uh, we have accommodations issues, which we have all the time, those are not things. I mean, you can use a lawyer for an accommodation issue, and obviously the broader law is that. But these are often, you know, more complicated. If you have performance issues, if you have dismissals, if you have, you know, so performance issues. Let's take that as an example. Now, I can tell you how to write a performance evaluation, but. But having a good HR person who is building uh, the record and really doing a deep dive and really understanding that is a whole other thing. Or investigations. Uh, you know, these are things that, you know, I I'm not saying lawyers can't do, but quite frankly, a very experienced HR person is going to do them better and deeper. Uh, and they're going to get to the core of the issue, you hope at least. So, um, uh, and, you know, I'll say they also are probably more focused on the ongoing nature of the enterprise than we are as lawyers who swoop in on a particular thing. We take care of that thing and we move on. So, uh, yeah, labor negotiations, you know, what's the first thing we always go into? We always say the client says we don't have any money. And, uh, you know, and and the union says, oh, you're you know, you're hiding, you know, something the size of the, the you know, the U.S. Mint. Right. Uh, and 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 having professionals who can go in and work between the folks in the or in the organization to come to a position about what is realistic financially, because, you know, no is, I mean, no is a perfectly good answer, I always say in labor negotiations. However, it's not an answer that's often going to get you to a conclusion. Um, the, uh, so, uh, so understanding that and having people who have worked in public sector who also, I mean, frankly, are not threatening to the folks who are there, because they really just help. And we do understand, I think, in, in a way that's different than a lot of other folks. We're not coming in because we're we're better than or or because we're telling you what to do, but because we we you know hopefully we can really help you develop ideas about how to get through this. No, fair point. Um, 
Nelson, could you uh, why are why are PMG? I mean, you retired as a city manager. You, like a lot of city managers, failed to effectively retire. You couldn't help yourself. You had to <laughs> stay involved. Uh, why are PMG, and and how how is that work trans transition gone, and and uh, how's it how does it play into your role today? Uh, well, uh, I'm uh, at the end of the day, I'm still a local government junkie, for lack of a better description. I just uh, I really just appreciate uh, what we do as professionals to keep cities and counties and California moving forward. So I think there's a an important role uh, for professional managers uh, to play in that process. And um, I want to continue to provide that support. Um, so uh, when I Retired, I, I knew I was going to consult. I always had in my head that uh, upon retirement, I would continue to provide support in some way. I landed uh, at RPLG, uh, you know, much like, you know, I think many people do. You have you have a relationship or a, um, a previous affiliation with, with somebody. And uh, I had worked with the RPLG team uh, for years in my capacity as a city manager. Uh, I had witnessed them provide services very effectively, not only to us, but to other local government uh, agencies. And um, I had an opportunity to talk to them about what they had planned uh, for RPMG, both John and Art. And I was just motivated by the opportunity to build from the ground up, um, you know, uh, uh, a different kind of consulting uh, practice that uh, relies on uh, multiple uh, professions to support the effort that we provide our clients. So um, it's we're having a great time. We've been around now for a little less than two years. Uh, our client base is growing, and uh, the work that we're doing is varied uh, in local government. And that's all great, uh, but I think uh, what propels it even beyond uh, that is the group that we've assembled uh, and, and continue to assemble uh, to support not only the RPMG practice, but the law side and, and the public policy side of um, the Renee family of uh, businesses. Well, it's good when you have a mission. Mission tends to attract uh, people who are committed to that mission. And uh, like moths to a flame, you end up with good people gathered around trying to go fulfill the mission. So I've always respected uh, RPLG and John and Art for uh, and Louise and all the founding folks at the firm for really having trying to be a very purpose driven organization, um, public law and the public interest that um, I think has been helpful for the kind of talent that they bring around around the campfire, so to speak. Um, John, you uh, um, I guess speaking of being mission driven and sharing insights and information, you recently had a chance to speak at the uh, Cal City's annual conference. I think you were taking on fire safety, if I recall correctly. What were, I mean, what what kind of information was shared there and discussed, and um, uh, what were the key takeaways that you think were worthy of of sharing at that uh, environment? So yeah, let me say first, uh, you know, the, the whole area of fire safety is um, is a is a very well, it's a challenging area, but it's also a very exciting area because. Um, uh, we were there with uh, a couple of fire chiefs, including uh, Dave Winokur, who uh, I represent, and 
Moraga Rinda Fire District, one of the greatest thinkers that I know of uh, around on wildfire uh, prevention and, and frankly, wildfire legislation, which is to say fuel break and uh, defensible space and all of these things have been very, we, he and I have been doing a lot of cutting edge work in that area, uh, trying to, to really, you know, make a dent in, um, in, in the problem. Uh, what, uh, so he talked a great deal about the newest thinking about, uh, about fire spread and fire modeling, et cetera. Uh, and a lot of things that are, that were not currently uh, uh, doing, some of which would actually make fire prevention, I think, uh, more targeted. One of the real challenges uh, uh, is that we have tended to not do the kind of modeling that 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 really shows exactly where the fire spread is 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 coming from. There are these very small trails of fire that really that actually make it through. And so he talked a lot about uh, uh, that and about all the legislation that we have done in this area to be a leader in in fire prevention. I talked about uh, a public policy challenge, which I'm I'm super interested in. So we all think wildfire is 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 a problem at least when it affects woolies when it affects when it affects cities etc clearly um and we're all very committed it seems we you know many public many in the public sign up for firewise communities etc 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 and yet when it comes to doing the very hard work uh, of, of fire prevention itself, there are tremendous, there's tremendous resistance. There is institutional resistance because, you know, fire districts, et cetera, overlap typically with uh, other governmental agencies, uh, you know, whether they're parks districts or, or cities or counties or, I mean, uh, so you have this overlap and you have very unclear lines of jurisdiction in some cases about how do you get the legislation you need through that you have a lot of resistance by institutional folks uh but but really government folks as much as much as anything about doing that work it is expensive work so that you know so that's a problem uh you've got um a lot of uh you know the old line about uh home is your castle problem uh i i have said you know i came from brooklyn and uh I never realized until very recently, six I've represented Moraga, we're in the fire district for six years, uh, that shrubs are one of the most powerful political influences in California. <laughs> uh, the, uh, you know, you really haven't experienced life until you've taken on a person's shrubs. Uh, the, uh, and uh, so, so there are these tremendous, tremendous, both legal challenges. The law has all kinds of problems. I'll give you an example. CEQA has an exemption for uh, defensible space. It does not have a clear exemption for fuel breaks, um, which, you know, we very clearly need to have because they're as or more important, depending, you know, basically defensible space is all right around the property. But obviously, by the time a fire gets to within a few feet of a property, you know, you're, <laughs> you'd sure wish it had stopped a lot earlier. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so so we talked a lot about and I, I, I will say I, I sounded maybe maybe a tad messianic about the thing, which is that we we need to get serious about the fact that we are talking a good game, but not doing the work. Um, and the problem, you know, the problem isn't getting really that much better, despite all of our talk 
about how we're doing these things and how we're using, you know, we have great modern technology around modeling, around, you know, uh, building, you know, uh, escape routes and uh, all of all these kinds of things, even, you know, with respect to being able to use drones to look at you know, where are the dead trees and, and, and how to cite people. Uh, our district cited, you know, over a thousand people this year uh, for a very small district. Uh, by comparison, Cal Fire, I understand, cited 16 people um, the, uh, statewide. So, so there's a lot to be done, but some of it, a lot of it is encouraging people and educating people. But some of it is also in the enforcement area and really being sure that, that, that people are, are doing what they need to do. I'd also observe, um, first of all, that sounds interesting. It sounds like maybe I need to have that fire chief on for a separate podcast to discuss the very specifics of best practices for wildfire, wildland, urban interface, wooey uh, challenges and issues. That would be an interesting discussion. Um, I, I'm working with a client right now and we're going through housing element issues. And part of the risk there is they're up against uh, wildland, urban interface and, you know, on the one hand, there's this immense state pressure to zone land and make it available for housing developments. And on the other hand, some of that is getting pushed into these wildland urban interface areas that are creating more fire risk. And simultaneously, you're seeing private sector pressure around fire insurance itself where it's not even available. Right. So like there was a development near me here in southern Orange County where they had to come to a stop because that houses, they couldn't get insurance for the houses in order to be able to sell the house so that the private market would actually provide a mortgage on the house. So let me, let um, me give you a, a really good example. I'm sorry to take it off track a little bit, but it is just a super interesting issue. Um, so this chief is also, he's a Hoover fellow and uh, he is working at Hoover. They just issued a report. I wish I could give you the site right now on um, how we can get I mean, the model ultimately for compliance with fire prevention measures is being able to assess fire risk at a very local level, at a micro level. Uh, it's never going to be one house because, you know, literally one house just doesn't do it. But very small clusters of houses um, can take measures that we then could translate into fire risk, which means that your actions could lower the cost of your insurance or make you insurable when other people aren't. Um, so to me, this is the, the holy grail of both fire prevention and insurance preservation. Uh, and it is absolutely doable with the tools that we have now. Interesting. Um, well, it's nice when you can connect a, like avoid a tragedy, the common situations, which I, may be the appropriate reference here, where if the problem's so big, it doesn't feel like any individual action can make a difference. But if you can break it down to models where individual action could make a difference, then you could have someone, people who are incentivized to be responsive to the situation, right? I mean, that's right. um, that's where it gets intriguing. Well, so this is obviously one of uh, many um, kind of hot issues that are affecting public agencies in California. And you guys have an interesting perspective on that from the management side and the legal side. Um, uh, Nelson, do you have some other hot issues that are kind of brewing in your head as as challenges to take on or things you're seeing in organizations that um, you think city managers and other executives should be thinking about for their public agencies? Yeah, I, I think I would distill it uh, into uh, three buckets. And, and this is where I think uh, our PLG and our PMG working together can 
uh, certainly be a resource for for clients. I think, you know, the the bread and butter of local governments is to ensure, um, you know, quality of life and infrastructure, you know, is uh, good in our communities. And I think one of the things that we we know, um, but maybe don't talk about uh, enough, is uh, the state of the infrastructure deficits that exist um, throughout our municipalities. And uh, so, you know, I, I see that as uh, a looming liability on par with um, some of the pension liabilities that we all experienced uh, not too long ago. So I think it's important to talk about that and and work constructively and effectively to to uh, resolve it. Um, and I think you know consulting firms like RPMG can can support that effort. I think can, the can second I, can I dive in on that one before we move sure. to the second, just at the risk of interrupting. Um, so we're we're looking we're thinking here about deferred maintenance or deferred. Uh, fulfillment of capital funds to do replacement on major infrastructure, right? So if you got a hundred year pipe and you're 50 years into it and you haven't saved 50% of the cost to replace that pipe, then you're behind schedule. Um, I mean, so those are the examples. Uh, that's a very extreme example, but an example of of this deferred maintenance I'm assuming you're referring to. And it strikes me that organizations feel pressure on this because sometimes when they're under financial strain, uh, the easiest thing to do is to defer maintenance uh, in order to close a budget gap, is that a? I mean, that's my layman's interpretation of it. Is that accurate? Absolutely. Or they use one-time capital to fund, um, you know, a desired amenity, you know, in lieu of funding um, the deferred maintenance. And so I think, you know, giving giving most professionals sort of understand the the, the mechanics and the one one of. Uh, municipal budgeting, but helping elected bodies, newly elected individuals, understand the importance of things like deferred maintenance and um, living within your means, or or thinking about uh, new revenue opportunities or expenditure cutbacks uh, and what that might look like without sacrificing service levels. I think is is a nuance and a depth mm-hmm. that many of our consultants can offer um, clients. So thank you for that. I think that's 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 important to illuminate. Well, and then I guess one other point along those lines too, because you know this has certainly been a, a challenge for a while. And I think the problem is, as you're noting, it's only gotten worse over the last 30 years. Uh, but I also have this vague recollection, like in the 90s or early 2000s, there was a GASB change that was designed to actually highlight um, some of the deferred maintenance issues inside budget documents and whatnot when doing financial reporting, which was an effort, I think, to try to mitigate some of this. Do you have a recollection of that, or am I am I going too down deep down a nerd a nerd hole here? No, it was it, the the Gasby rule was implemented at the same time uh, that uh, Gasby required cities to post their um, their market. You may recall their market valuations of OPEB and. Uh, pension liabilities. Mm-hmm. So it's a way to sort of illuminate to the public um, and other institutions about the looming liabilities that municipalities are carrying, but not but not recording. And so the effect of that was we got to do something about our pension liabilities. And you know, uh, not every city, but most agencies dealt with that seriously. Uh, they implemented reform through the labor process. Um, uh, or constructed financial strategies to address them. Um, 
you know, I think still looming out there is is the infrastructure deficit. And to your mm-hmm. point, I don't think enough is being done. It's been highlighted, but you know, I think some more serious thought uh, uh, should be put into that area. And we've got experts that uh, can help in that regard. Um, the the second area I think is you you and John alluded to it, and that is the brain drain. Um, and we've been talking about it for years. We thought more in terms of sort of that from an organizational perspective with the baby boomers and the Gen Xers. But it's all that. Uh, but it's also uh, we're, we're seeing a lot, a lot, um, a, a a newer set of electeds entering um, the 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 public sector realm, and uh, doing that uh, with sometimes limited experience. Not only you know, having a full understanding of how local government works, but, you know, even professional experience uh, in their, in their, in their. And I think what we can offer uh, those situations is, um, you know, more training and development in the area of how local governments work, working in concert with city managers or department heads to improve the level of communication effectiveness uh, in the city council, city manager form of government. So we do a lot of training uh, in that area. Uh, one of our consultants is uh, known uh, for uh, that, and uh, it's great to have them on our team uh, to do that on behalf of clients. So just kind of exercising the training and development of how council manager form of government works, what does effective communication look like in that environment, and what are some of the building blocks and tools uh, to to be a high performing local government, um, and then I think I think the the last thing is, uh, and you talked about a little a little bit about this too, writer, earlier in your conversation with John, and that's just constant state intrusion into um, uh, local government uh, operations. Uh, you know, the most obvious one is. Uh, uh, you know, sort of what they're doing in regards to uh, new housing legislation and right. rules and regulations around that. But there's there's also other uh, issues in the area of public policy, public safety, uh, financial management, and even uh, human resources and labor relations. So um, you know, those are the those are the three issues that I think um, generally um, local governments need to be super mindful of. Those are big, big, uh, big sticky issues, to say the least. Yeah, just chime in, Ryder. Please, John. On, on one of those, um, just to take it a little bit. <laughs> I don't know why I always seem to take the wide angle focus, but OK, there you are. Uh, the uh, um, you know, when I started in government, I thought I was going to go to the federal government. Uh, because I went to Stanford Law School, and Stanford Law School at the time, at least, didn't know that local government existed. Uh, the uh, and if they did, they wouldn't have thought well of it. But the uh, um, um, you know, it was still not long after uh, John Kennedy had talked about you know government uh, bringing in the best of the brightest, uh, and there was this. Um, uh, this, you know, I think popular vision of government and government's never been 100 percent popular, no matter how you slice it. But, it, you know, um, I think one of the tremendous challenges that we face right now is, um, you know, government has been badly devalued by the public. 
Uh, and, uh, and that's true, of course, most on the federal level, uh, probably secondarily on the state level, and probably least on the local level, but, but, but it has nonetheless, it, it's pervaded our view to the point where now also no criticism of anybody, but folks get elected sometimes who are really opposed to the function that they're being elected to manage. <laughs> uh, the, uh, we certainly see it, you know, more even on the federal uh, level. Uh, sure. Uh, but uh, I, I, I think it's very challenging on multiple levels because, um, uh, you know, local government, I mean, say what you will about federal government, say what you will about state government. Most of what local government does isn't subject to reasonable dispute that we should be doing it, right? I mean, police, fire, roads, I mean, maybe you want more or less of it, but, you know, uh, you don't have a lot of people coming out against roads. Uh, the, uh, um, the, and, and, and a lot of it is really not very political. I mean, when, when all is said, at least I don't think it is. I mean, uh, these are basic functions, basic amenities that make our lives what they are. Um, and I, I think that, you know, first of all, I think local government needs to be making its case about why it is, you know, the home of services. I don't know that the public really fully understands that essentially all services, you know, Tip, Tip, Tip O'Neill said all politics is local. I say all services are local. Uh, the, uh, it's not hundred percent true, but it isn't far from being true. Right. Uh, the, um, you know, and I think the other part is that, you know, we need to educate the whole generation of young people uh, about the good feeling that comes from from being able to deliver services to people who need them and want them. No, I well, I think that's true. I mean, it's important for recruiting uh, folks into the space and the profession. And obviously, there's niches within that space: policing versus fire versus you know the city manager's office, right? That that all have their niches. Um, but I certainly, I mean. You have a RPLG has a phenomenal um, fellowship program where you bring in uh, students to learn about public policy and local government and the law. Uh, that's very innovative and unique, I believe, among um, local government law firms in the state. Uh, you know, at my firm, uh, Trepepe Smith. I mean, you know, you go look at our team. Like, it's a lot of fresh out of college. Uh, folks who didn't know anything about local government and they're here to learn, which is fine. We're going to give them a very steep learning curve, um, but we get them into the profession, right? We get them into the space and get them, get them taking an interest in local government, sitting into conferences and things like that. So um, I would also just observe that, you know, the correlation of the points you noted were devalued of government. And I think the correlating sentiment too is one of trust. Uh, so it's at times devalued and it's also become distrusted. And maybe when you trust something less, you devalue it. Therefore, it probably makes sense that you would correlate those emotions. Um, and I would say all levels of government have work to do from my perspective on how they're maintaining and earning trust with the public and, um, uh, and being more thoughtful about trust building exercises that, uh, would probably correlate to returning people's perception of the value of government um, to what they're getting done. 
I agree, and, and it's one of the reasons we have uh, built on the on the government side of our firm, on the law side of the firm, uh, you know, a, a strong ethics function, and we do ethics investigations now. You know, it used to be all of our investigations were were gender, sexual harassment, uh, race, you know, et cetera. Now, probably fully fifty percent of our investigations are, are ethics issues. Hmm. Or wow. Um, any other, uh, uh, the risk of turning away from that important subject, any other policy areas or challenges worth noting or observing that are kind of affecting your vision for 2024 or causing you to think about areas where you want to make investments as a firm or as a, as a management group? Well, Nelson, I'll, I'll let you start there. So what we've noticed is that, uh, agencies, uh, Kind of back to the point about uh, drain, brain drain is that uh, they're, they're struggling with recruitment and uh, attention efforts inside of local government. And as folks retire, they're looking for uh, capable people to come in and fill an interim niche. Um, and so we've had some success in that area. We've had some of our consultants go and um, serve as uh, interim directors, uh, department uh, managers for agencies. And so as I think about the coming year and the, the volume of requests that we're receiving, you know, a little bit more attention in that regard is something um, that uh, we'll put some effort uh, in making sure that we've got the right assembly of people that we can offer agencies. So take me down that path a little bit, too, because uh, obviously it sounds like things are growing around there and you're busy. Um, I assume you want to be adding to your bench of talent. So if if I'm a city manager type or, you know, an executive type or a higher level staff member who's getting ready to face retirement or I just want a new a new kick in life, um, why should I why should I reach out to you and chat with you about working at RPMG? Well, if you if you care about the profession and you you're not done uh, and you want to uh, continue to provide value uh, to local governments, you know, pick up the phone or or call me um, um, uh, or call me or email me uh, to learn a little bit more about uh, what RPMG uh, has to offer. I think uh, I think the the great thing about uh, working for us is you'll be a part of a an expanding team of very capable people uh, that are well known statewide, um, and uh, we're having fun providing that service uh, to individuals. And we typically assemble our work in team environments. So, uh, yes, we might collaborate with an attorney, but no project necessarily is done in isolation. And so, we rely on other experts to sort of support that effort. Um, so, I think it's. I think that um, that provides a rich environment uh, to contribute. Um, it it sort of allows you to maybe meet other individuals in the profession uh, to support uh, clients, and and then the the product is just a, a better outcome because you're you're kind of assembling and working on that together as a as a team. Um, I think I uh, you know we skipped over this a little bit, but you know some of the people that we've got affiliated with the firm. Uh, as John mentioned, uh, pretty well known. Uh, we, we mentioned Deborah Gill um, uh, and Donna Valancourt. 
But here are some other sort of interesting names that I think people are familiar uh, Dan Rich uh, is the former uh, city manager of Mountain View. He served that capacity for many years successfully. Uh, Drew Corbett, uh, the former city manager of uh, San Mateo, um, you know, uh, uh, not only a local government expert, but uh, a fiscal es expert um, who, who started out as a finance director and a budget analyst that um, really has a depth of knowledge um, on our, our team in those matters. June Catalano, the former city manager of uh, Pleasant Hill, who um, at the time of retirement was the longest serving city manager in the Bay Area. Uh, her background is in community development. Uh, Kevin Duggan, who is, uh, you know, the dean of city managers. He is the dean. Uh, uh, you know, has uh, uh, trained, uh, published, uh, and uh, supported agencies in a very uh, noble, and constructive uh, way, uh, and uh, also the former city manager of Mountain View in Campbell is on our team, um, and the, the list goes on. I, I really just encourage people to look us up on rennypublicmanagement.com because I think you'll be impressed. Awesome. Uh, uh, go ahead, John. Yeah, so just on, and on our side, I would say, you know, our a lot of our goal for the year uh, is given how much housing work uh, is happening as a result, really, of Sacramento, uh, uh, dealing with uh, all of these requirements from Sacramento and uh, uh, other housing issues. We, um, uh, we recently uh, uh, brought in Ruben Cruz, who was the county council of uh, uh, Shasta County for a long time. Uh, and uh, we have Ann Danforth, who was a longtime city attorney of Tiburon. Uh, and uh, Andrew Shen. So we've developed, uh, we're developing, you know, a new sort of housing team uh, who I, I plan to get the fire teams and the housing teams to go to war with each other and sort of like have little soldiers on the <laughs> <laughs> see who lives longer. But the, uh, uh, um, anyway, so, so that's, I would say, you know, uh, that's a focus for us. Well, it's uh, certainly a hot area and a hot area of, of legal matters, too, these days between lawsuits involving builder's remedy and, uh, you know, working through, um, I'm, I'm assuming what will be a, a slew of lawsuits either brought by the attorney general office or lawsuits uh, that are being brought by developers trying to get projects done in cities under some theoretical element of the law. Um, all right. And uh, as we start to wrap up here real quick, so if people wanted to run into you, you guys at some upcoming conferences here pretty soon. Where, where are people going to find RPLG or RPMG on the circuit? Uh, well, I'll start. Yeah, I'll start. Sure. Uh, so um, and this, of course, is more in the in the uh, for those who are in the HR of the HR bent uh, or employment bent. Uh, uh, Cal Pelra is our our, our uh, uh, mentioned that you know, labor employment was sort of originally the core of the firm. And so that's coming up uh, in uh, in November. Uh, I'm uh, uh, going to be at MMA and C briefly, at least for a day or so uh, coming up. Uh, and uh, then obviously uh, will be League City Managers Conference. Uh, uh, I think a couple of the other uh, smaller smaller league conferences and uh, uh we were just at csac but uh so that, that's that's what's on our plate i don't know uh nelson 
Yeah, near term, uh, most of our HR professionals will be at Calpelra here in the next couple of weeks. Um, and then later in February, um, uh, the city manager side of the house, for lack of a better term, will be at the city manager's conference along with John and, and Art Hardinger. So uh, look us up. We'll be roaming the halls and uh, we hope we can spend some time uh, getting to know you and your needs and uh, talking about RPNG and RPLG. And we throw, we throw a good party. So all you got to do is drop by and ask uh, ask for an invite. We'd be happy to invite anybody who's on this. On this uh, Everybody loves a good party. Uh, and we'll be in Hollywood for that city manager conference. So, you know, you can you can uh, walk the halls, talk to talk to RPLG and RPMG, and then you can go get a photo with Batman on the street. So everybody's <laughs> there you go. In situation. Uh, and then last but not least, how do folks get a hold of you, John? How do how do people get in touch with you? Uh, best way to reach me is uh, uh, email. It's jholtzman, J-H-O-L-T-Z-M-A-N, at publiclawgroup, all one word, dot com. So well, everything is very easy, Public Law Group. It's all at publiclawgroup.com. Awesome. And Nelson? Uh, uh, nfialo uh, at publiclawgroup.com uh, via email or by phone at 925-437-4002. And of course, everything is on our website at rennypublicmanagement.com. Awesome. Well, gentlemen, uh, that's today's report. My thanks to Nelson and John for joining us from the whole public CEO team and myself, Ryder Todd Smith. Thank you for your time. We hope you learned something new and inspiring that will help you in your public service. Remember, Public CEO has a daily newsletter that is free to those who sign up at publicceo.com. If you have feedback, questions, or guest suggestions for Public CEO Report, please email editor at publicceo.com.